Hello and welcome to another Voice of Wealth podcast. I'm Edmund Shing, Global CIO of BNP Paribas Wealth Management. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Charlotte de Coeur-Poisson. Hello, Charlotte. What are we talking about today? Hello, Ed. In this podcast, we're going to talk about demographics and focus on the growing slice of the population that is having a far-reaching effect on several sectors of the economy, namely the silver surfer. Hang on, the silver surfer. To me, that's a Marvel superhero character, but I'm guessing (laughs) that's not what you mean. No, 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 exactly. I'm not talking about cartoon characters. I'm talking about the third age. The silver economy is geared up to the seniors in our society. This market or economy covers all products and services intended for people over the age of 60. Before we dig deeper into this massive economy, let's look at some figures. According to the OECD, in 1950, the life expectancy of the Italians was 66. Now it's 84. In France, it was 67. Today, it is 83. What's more, the global population over 60 will have doubled by 2050 compared to the year 2000. So this chunk of the population will represent nearly 2.1 billion. Companies across the globe now realise that in future, there will be a lot more older folk with money to spend. In most rich countries, the baby boomers born after the Second World War were more numerous, better educated and better paid than any other generation before them. So, Ed, what else characterises the consumers of the silver economy? I would highlight very much that there is a shift towards people living healthily as long as possible. That's one thing. So not just living as long as possible, but living as as long as possible healthily so they can do stuff. Secondly, high purchasing power. You've mentioned the fact that they're generally wealthy. And I think that wealth has been not only boosted by high employment and good earning power over their lifetimes, but in addition, has been boosted by, for instance, property ownership, because we know that property has performed incredibly well, residential property I'm talking about, over the last few decades. And baby boomers have clearly benefited massively from that. And of course, on top of that, what do they want to do? They want to use the free time that they have, as they have increasing amounts of free time in retirement to travel and have new experiences and maybe to spoil themselves a little bit. And on top of that, increasingly, they want to stay active. So that doesn't just mean traveling, but that means doing sports, eating well, being fashionable and so on, just like everyone else, really. So very true. I've been doing a bit of research and note that there are two areas of the silver economy. Firstly, silver consumers use regular services and products that people of all ages consume. So health, finance and luxury goods. And silver consumers usually spend more than young people, partly because they have more time and are generally better off financially. So every sector of the economy relies on this group, which will keep growing. And secondly, there is a market that specifically caters to our seniors. I'm thinking of healthcare, senior housing and special equipment. And as people get much older, they require more home-based services. Ed, what opportunities will the silver economy bring in the future? Silverization of sectors is a, is a key point here. So that is re-gearing, for instance, of consumer-facing sectors towards this particular age group. So in terms of clothing retailing, there are specific retailers that target this age group more and more because they do have money to spend and they want to look fashionable and still look nice even as they get older it's not it's not just for young people you've mentioned the services and i think home-based services are one or health-based services would be another but i think there is definitely the growth of a greater service-based economy around this age segment secondly whether it be home services or health or other and thirdly 
just the nature of retirement, I think, is changing. So the labor force is not going to grow like it did. We're having a declining birth rate in many Western countries. We have an aging population. And so the nature of retirement, I think, changes in the sense that older people may actually decide to work for longer. They will, to some extent, be obliged to work for longer because the state pension age continues to go up because financing it is so difficult. But I think as well, this idea of moving from working full time one day to stopping completely and doing nothing the next day, I think that's going to change. And I think that's going to, we're moving towards a system where people maybe take on different types of jobs, whether it be voluntary or otherwise, or, or part-time jobs, and ease their way into slightly lower level of activity where they have more time for themselves, where, but where they don't completely give up work. They continue to work, but maybe at a slower rhythm or in a part-time basis. So I think that has the benefits of helping them financially, but also keeps them interested, keeps them motivated. Because I think for a lot of people, retirement is not just about going home and playing golf anymore. It is much more <laughs> than that. They have, they have goals that they still want to achieve, uh, even as they get older. And that does not mean necessarily classically being retired and sitting at home. What is the potential for innovation? Well, it's huge. If you look at some of the advanced aging economies, such as South Korea and Japan, you can see there's a lot of technological innovation, uh, for instance, industrial automation, because again, as you have shrinking labor forces and fewer young people, you need to have increasing industrial automation in factories, for instance, to produce goods. So that's one area where we see increasing investment. Secondly, advances in home automation, because as we've talked a lot about home services, well, again, provision of that can be done to some extent, but automation as well to make things easier. Also, the increasing use of artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, these new technologies, again, will provide all manner of services and products at, at, that, for this aging demographic that I think will help them even as they get older, to, to, to continue to live their lives in their home. Because again, the idea is not necessarily to move into an old people's home, but to stay active and to stay living independently for as long as possible. All manner of services and, and equipment that allow them to do that, I think will be definitely growing. Let's talk about the consequences of an ageing population on pension for portfolios. So previously, people would have sold their shares when they retired and bought bonds and also enjoy regular income. But that is no longer the case, is it, Ed? No. Firstly, I mean, one, one obvious financial solution is not to stop working completely. So if you continue to draw some sort of income, even from part-time work, that helps supplement income and means that your requirement for pension, pure pension income is lower. Secondly, today, government bonds don't provide the level of income that they used to in the past. So it's not as easy as selling your shares and buying bonds to provide a secure income in retirement because government bonds often yield very little or even may have negative yields, so they don't fulfill that role anymore. As a result, retirement portfolios need to be still perhaps somewhat oriented towards risky assets, such as shares, property, infrastructure, or even private equity. Again, a mixture of all these things can continue to provide solid returns, admittedly with some risk, but unfortunately we are in a world today where I think we do need to continue to take some investment risk in order to generate acceptable returns. And that's true even for retirement portfolios. Why is wealth transmission more important today? Coming back to the point that AB, uh, the baby boomers have benefited largely from very strong financial markets over the last few decades. But most importantly, property markets have been very good for them. And for in the majority of Western countries, the majority of the wealth of this age group is held in property. What's good for them is not so good for young people. 
young people obviously are faced with very high house prices as a result. There has to be this sort of secular shift in house pricing, which benefits those who own houses at the expense of those who do not. So how do you get young people to own houses? Well, increasingly by the bank of mum and dad, or even the bank of grandma <laughs> and grandpa. And that's how it works. You need to have that wealth transmission down the generations in order to help the, the young people get on the property ladder. And finally, what are the investment opportunities in this megatrend? There are a host of opportunities in the form of managed funds, ETFs, or even private equity funds, all of which target this demographic, target this thematic of the, you know, the silver, the silver surfer, the silver economy of the third age. And I think that this is going to be a very strong growing thematic. So these funds and ETFs, which may be either very specifically based on a number of these services that are growing, where we're seeing growing demand, or more generally based on the provision of goods and services to the segment of the population, both of them, I think, are very attractive at the current time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To be sure to receive our audio content every week, please search for BNP Paribas Wealth, on the podcast platform of your choice, such as Apple Podcast, Podcast Addict, Spotify, or other podcast providers. And to see all of our research, Google BNP Paribas Wealth. <laughs>